The title and the topic of my message today, I'm just taking it straight from Paul, is The Secret of Contentment. Uh, really quick, I just want to give some honor. Are you thankful uh, for our worship team and our leaders and Pastor Jay? Can you just give them some honor? You guys are incredible. You know what? Uh, you don't need to have amazing music to worship God. You should be able to worship God wherever and whenever with whoever. But I'll tell you what, it sure helps, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm so thankful for them. Uh, guess what? I turned 35 this week. Had a birthday. That's an interesting, that's a very divisive age. I, even in announcing that, I just saw I cut a line right through everybody because I'm, I'm squarely getting into that middle zone here. And I just a bunch of you people who are older than me, look, still I have that feeling that you're saying, oh, you're just a pup. And then there's a bunch of you, though, that are, are much younger than me, and you're like, oh, dude, you're old. You should not be wearing skinny ripped jeans. Uh, <laughs> my wife's thinking that, too, I think. Yeah. But I, here's what I'm finding in my life. I, I had a pretty low-key birthday this week. My, my wife asked, what do you want to do? The day's yours. Let's just let's do whatever you want. I said, you know what I want to do? I want to chill. I just want to hang out with my family. I want to eat some bulgogi from, from Boaz, and I want some Dairy Queen ice cream cake, and I'm good. That's all, that's all I want. And I had a super low-key birthday, and I just remember at the end of the night just feeling like I, I love my life. I am blessed beyond words. And I'll tell you something. 35 years on planet Earth, done 35 trips around the sun, and I will say I am content. I am, I am a happy individual, and, and I, I don't want you to sit here and think, is that because his life is perfect and he's got everything going for him and he's got all the things that are just checked off? No, I, I have some things in my life that I do count as great blessings that bring me happiness. I do have a beautiful and amazing wife. I have three awesome kids. I have a church family that I absolutely adore. I get to work at a place where I believe God is doing something significant. Like there's a lot of things in my life that I'm just thankful for. But at the same time, there are things in my life that did not pan out like I thought they would. Like for instance, I'm not in the NBA. That was, that was one of my dreams as a seven-year-old and an eight-year-old. And the older I got and the, 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 real, the slower I got, the, the, the realization was that's not going to happen. I'm, I'm not a millionaire. Uh, everyone doesn't like me, uh, believe it or not. I know you find that hard to believe, but there are people who don't like me. Uh, there are things in my life that, uh, are, that you could see as a withdrawal from your contentment. What I'm finding in my life is this, and I think this is where we need to go today, is that my, content, my contentment is not contingent upon my external realities. That, that the, there's not this great correlation that I think we all think there is. I think when, we, when we're born and we grow up as kids and even teenagers, and some of us still deal with it, the assumption is this, that, that I will be content when I accomplish this vision or I obtain this item or I have this happen in my life or this circumstance goes a certain way. We think our contentment is correlated or connected to uh, some external reality. And once we obtain that, we'll be content. But many of you have lived long enough to realize that that's not necessarily the case. There's a lot of people in our world, and I suspect there's people sitting here today or watching online, you would say, you know what, I'm not content. And, and here's a couple of reasons why that might be the case. For some of you, you, you might be discontented because you had a vision for your life some dreams for your life, and the, the life that you're now living, the reality of it is far different, or you never thought, you know what, I'm 40 years old, and I thought I'd be a lot further than I am right now. 
That's, that's where a lot of discontentment comes for a lot of people, that the vision for their life and the reality they're experiencing, there is this gap between their vision and their reality, and in that space is their level of discontentment. Vision minus experience equals your current level of discontentment. So there are a lot of people who have not lived the life they dreamed of, and so they're experiencing discontentment because of that vision that still illuminates and hangs over them. This is where a midlife crisis comes from. Midlife crisis is a reaction to, I woke up one day, I'm realizing I'm getting older and I have not experienced or done or accomplished the things I want to in my life, so I gotta, double, I gotta make double time. That's what a midlife crisis is. A lot of people are discontent because their vision for their life and their reality are miles apart. But you know what? There's another discontentment and a lot of us face it in our culture. We live in the West. We live in a blessed culture. And if you don't know that, you're crazy. You need to travel a little bit more. Uh, we are the most blessed people on earth. Amen? Like we are blessed. And there's a lot of discontentment, however, people experience not from not obtaining their goals, but they actually find discontentment in fulfilling their goals. That once they accomplish the vision they set out to, to accomplish, they realize this did not satisfy me or fulfill me the way that I thought or hoped it would. Anybody ever think that? Like you actually, you got the raise you got the job and then you thought, I'll be satisfied once I get that job. And then you got the job and all of a sudden you're still not satisfied. That discontentment still was there. That, that joy that you thought would come when you obtained that vision still eludes you. And so there's a ton of people that deal with discontentment, not from fulfilling, not from not fulfilling their vision, but from actually fulfilling their vision and realizing I'm still not fulfilled, even though the vision is. This is why you see a lot of people in Hollywood or people who are on top of the world. You see CEOs and executives, powerful people, famous people who just implode. Why? Because they got to the top and they realized it's still not enough. Discontentment. So here's the question. What does it take to actually be content? What, does, what is the secret of contentment? I want to look at this today and I just have a few ideas. And as I kind of got rolling in this topic, I realize this is probably grounds for a whole series. I hope I get through everything. I promise I'll get you out on time regardless. But I, I think there's some things we need to know about contentment. Uh, and the reason I'm talking about this today is because we are in Genesis, and some of you are thinking, uh, you know, what does this have to do with the book of Genesis? There's one verse I want to pull out that kind of got me thinking along these lines, and it's about the life of Abraham. If you are just joining us, we have for the last like two and a half months since January, three months, been journeying week by week through the book of Genesis, the first book in your Bible. We've been looking at the different stories, and for the last little while, we've been following the life of this man named Abraham. He's quite the character, and he's had some amazing things happen in his life. He's had some major ups and some major downs, some ins and some outs. He's, he's been in a variety of circumstances. And here we find in Genesis 25, one verse, I want to read it, we find we come to the end of Abraham's life, and we kind of get the funeral statement. And in this, I want to pull out this idea of contentment and ask this question. It says this in verse 7. Abraham lived for 175 years. That's a long life. And he died at a ripe old age. And here it is. Having lived a long and satisfying life. He breathed his last and joined his ancestors in death. Abraham lived, and the Bible writers want you to see this. Abraham lived a long and satisfying life. Another translation I like, it says, Abraham died old and contented. 
How many of us would like to die old and contented? That would be the, the vision. Uh, another translation, I love it. It says, I think it's maybe in the ESV or the NIV, if you have different Bible translations. It says, Abraham died having lived his life full of years. It's this weird statement, full of years, but really it comes from this Hebrew terminology that means that his years were fulfilled, that he found fulfillment in his days, in his years, that he found the joy and happiness and fulfillment that he wanted to. He lived his life full of years. Here's the question. How do we live our lives full of years? What is the secret of contentment? I believe today, as we look at a few principles, that contentment is entirely possible regardless of your circumstances right now. So I got a few ideas I want to share with you, and I think you should take notes because I'll tell you something. These things are counterintuitive. Contentment is counterintuitive. This is why Paul said, not I knew the secret of contentment. What did he say? I have learned. Thanks, Pastor Dan. <laughs> I have learned the secret of contentment. That contentment is something I had to work at. I had to, I had to wrestle it down. I had to figure out a new perspective. I had to be taught this, but there is, contentment is possible, but we have to learn it. So you know what? You should write these things down and you're probably going to have to keep, keep coming back to them. I mean, between last night when I preached it and this morning, I had to remind myself about these principles. So here, here's the secrets. I have a few secrets. These aren't all of them, but I guarantee if you can get these secrets, this will change your whole life. And mine. Here's secret number one. Are you ready? Lean in. It's a secret. It's a secret. Contentment, first and foremost, here's a principle, and I'll, and I'll break it down. Contentment is found in your hand, not in someone else's. Contentment is found in your hand, not in someone else's. What do I mean by that? There is a, a perception that many of us have, and it's rooted from a lie, and that is this, that I will be content when something else enters into the hand I've been dealt. That my contentment is contingent upon obtaining something that I don't currently possess. Has anybody ever thought that way? If I just had that job, then I will be content, correct? I need that card. If this, circumstance is, if this circumstance simply resolved, then I will be content. Uh, for some of you, maybe you're single. If I just had a man, then I would be content. Some of you married ladies are, 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 nudging, are, are smirking, saying, no, no, you won't. If I, whatever it is, insert whatever dream it is, there is a thought that enters all of our minds. And frankly, our world economy runs on this reality that your contentment is contingent upon obtaining something you don't currently possess. So marketers, businesses, all, they all advertise to that reality. You'll be happy when you get your, eat, your eating, your sleeping, and your Toyotas right. That once you get the Toyota, then you will have a great and satisfying life. That's the idea. And, and we know it's not true, but I think we all operate as though it is. That if I just had this, I just had that, then I will be content. But the biblical principle Paul wants you to see is this. That your contentment is not contingent upon obtaining something you don't already have. And we have first and foremost, if we're going to get content... We have got to confront the lie that says this, that I can only be content when that happens. That currently God has given you all of the tools and all of the resources right now, already in the hand that you've been dealt, you have already been given the resources to be happy. 
So let me just burst the bubble that looms, you know, looms over our minds that says this, that I have to get that, I have to obtain that, I have to resolve that in order to be content. You don't. God has already given you the resources to do it. There is a lie that just enters our mind and it actually comes from a spirit and it's a spirit of poverty. The spirit of poverty tries to get you to focus not on what you do have, but on what you don't have. The spirit of poverty is the have-not spirit. It's this mindset. It's the Oliver Twist mindset. Please, sir, I want some more. Like that's the, it's the, it's the idea that I don't have enough to be happy, to be fulfilled. It's a spirit. It whispers into your mind. And what the, what the poverty spirit tries to get you to do, and here's how you'll know that you're being affected by the poverty spirit. Here's how it, it robs your joy. It will try to get you to compare your life to someone else's your stuff to someone else's. It, it implements the trick of comparison. Have you ever noticed that comparison has the power to rob your joy? You've never noticed that. Has anybody ever been on Facebook? <laughs> and you're scrolling through and you're seeing everybody's highlight reel and you're comparing their vacation to your vacation. Like theirs was perfect. They went to Mexico and then they, they floated around. They went up to Disney World and they're perfect little kids and everything was just great. And then you look at your vacation and you went to French Village and you, like the bears ate your stuff and you're like, my life sucks, right? Doesn't that happen? And, and you thought your vacation was fine until you saw their vacation and now all of a sudden the line moved. And, or maybe it's your job, right? Like you, you were quite content the day you got that job. You were happy and excited. And then you got working and you got doing your time and you started seeing it a little different. And then they hired that pimply kid and they made him your supervisor. Hey, Mr. Simpson. Remember that guy with the, with the pimples? And you found out they're paying him more. And then all of a sudden, what? You're not being paid enough. And you were happy with what you were being paid until you found out what they were being paid and all of a sudden your joy is getting robbed. Or, or moms, maybe, maybe for you, you're on Pinterest and you, get, you threw your kid a minion party and you did your best to make the cake and your kid was happy and you were happy and then that night you were online and you were looking and your girlfriend did like this four-tiered minion cake and all the kids like had not treat bags but treat backpacks and they were so excited about everything that they got and they're, 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 my, that kid's birthday party was so much better than yours. Comparison. It absolutely sucks your joy dry. And it reinforces this lie, this mindset that I will be happy when I get this, when I get that, if I could just obtain. That's what the poverty spirit does. It gets you to look out. It gets you to look at things you don't currently possess and think I don't have enough. And it robs your joy. It absolutely robs your joy. Here's a couple ways you can know that the poverty spirit is affecting you. One, can I celebrate when someone else gets blessed or promoted? You know you are being affected by that mindset, by that spirit. If somebody gets blessed or something good happens to someone else and you can't celebrate it. Because all of a sudden your life now is called into question and your satisfaction is called into question. Anybody ever, ever like had that moment where maybe... You know, your friend gets promoted and you're like, good for you, <laughs> right? Or, or maybe like, maybe it's a little more serious and a little more hard. Like some of you parents who are trying to have babies and you know what, there's two couples and you're both trying to have kids and, and couple A got pregnant and couple B, you're trying to be excited for couple A, but, but you can't be because you know now I'm still not pregnant. And so 
See, comparison robs your joy. The poverty spirit will not allow you to celebrate when someone else gets blessed. Gets blessed. It will not allow you to celebrate someone else's blessing. Why? Because if they have more, that means I have less. And it calls that in the question. Here's another way you can know the poverty spirit is affecting you. And this one's even more sinister and subtle. Can you enjoy your current blessings? Can you look at your life and say, I have been blessed. God has been good to me. Can you look at your life and say, God, it's more than enough. Can you look at your life and say, God, I don't deserve this, but thanks for giving it to me. Like the poverty spirit will rob you up or down. Did you know that? Like those, those people, there's some of you here today who maybe you've been blessed financially. Maybe you have a lot. I have, I have people in my life that are very wealthy and they're, they're, they've been very blessed. And the poverty spirit also tries to pull down guilt. They try to make you feel bad for what you've been given. You ever, ever experienced that? Has anybody ever traveled to a third world country? And all of a sudden you're finding this, this level of guilt and obligation saying, I should not have all that I have. Poverty spirit's trying to rob your blessing and your joy. Here, here's the thing. I was, I was wrestling. Uh, my wife and I are shopping for, for houses. If you want to buy our house, talk to me. Uh, we're shopping for houses and, and, and wrestling through what level of home should I buy? And, and, you know, should I have a house that nice or that nice? And, and I felt the Lord say, because as I was kind of sifting through these things, him put his, his finger on my heart saying, uh, you know, what makes you think you deserve the house you're currently in? Why, are you, why, are you, why do you think that you have earned that level, but not the, if I give you the next level size or whatever house? What makes you think you've earned it? Here's the point. A blessing is something you have not earned. It's not on that scale of what you've earned or deserve. The poverty spirit will try to get you and convince you that I have earned this, I deserve this. That's what the mindset of the poverty spirit does. It gets you focused on you and what you don't have, what you deserve, what you think you deserve, where God wants you to get focused on God's been good to me. God loves to bless me and I'm a son. Uh, last week I, I caught a guy at the back who's got a brand new, grand, brand new granddaughter and I got talking, and talking to him saying, man, you're blessed. And he's like, I know. And he started to tear up and he goes, more blessed than I deserve. I go, exactly. That's a blessing. The moment that you think you've earned it, the moment that you think you've deserved your blessings, it's no longer a blessing. You're earning it and you've got the poverty spirit running your life. But the free child of God stands open-handed saying, everything I have is a gift from God. God has been good to me and he's given me more than enough. And that is the way that we get set free from this kind of mindset that robs our joy. So here it is. Here's, here's how you kind of beat the spirit of poverty. You beat it with thanksgiving. You beat it with gratitude. When you feel that kind of have not, and let me, let me tell you something. This is a rampant problem in our region. That kind of have not, I don't have enough, we don't have enough attitude, all the good things happen, or darn those Irvings, they're corrupt, look at their success and all that stuff. Am I, am I, am I, is that too real? Like that is rampant and all the good jobs are going to Alberta and Harper this and Glant this and Trudeau this and spraying pesticides and rah, like that's, isn't that, doesn't anybody else hear that attitude? Like you go online, like just the, you read on the Telegraph Journal, the comments and it's that mindset that we don't have enough. And so we pull down people who are blessed or we pull down other people's success because, and we can't rest in our own. That's the poverty spirit. I'll tell you what, God wants a group of people, the church to rise up and show what it looks like to walk blessed. 
Like God has blessed me. I have more than enough and it has nothing to do with how big my house is. It has nothing to do with how small my house is. It has nothing to do with my job or your job. It's everything to do with who I think God is. We confront that mentality that robs our joy by giving thanks all the time. Thanksgiving absolutely brings your joy back. When you get up every day and you remind yourself, God's been good to me. He put a roof over my head. God's been good to me. Maybe you don't have a roof over your head. Maybe you're sleeping on someone's couch. Then you thank God for the couch. God's been good to me. He's given me a family. Maybe God hasn't given you a family, but you got friends. You find reasons to give God thanks. And what that does is it shuts up that lie that says you don't have enough. And it starts to bring your joy back. Contentment is not contingent upon what you don't have. This is what Paul was getting at. What did he say? I have learned the secret of contentment when, where? In any and every situation. What's that mean? My contentment is not contingent upon what you serve me. I was content before you gave me your gift. That's what Paul's saying. It's like uh, anybody live with, a, with a, a, a picky eater? Yeah? I live with one. Her name rhymes with felony. Um, <laughs> Uh, but she's taught me something. She's taught me something that, you know what? You don't leave it to chance when you go out to eat or you go and you go eat somewhere you don't know what's going to be served. You don't leave it to chance. What you do, you run through the A&W drive-thru and you get some onion rings to make sure I got some before I came. I don't need you to serve me. I'm good. I already ate. And if you have something good, I'll take some of that too. I'll, I can do that. That's the, that's the concept Paul's saying to the Philippians, saying, listen, thank you for your gift. I receive it, but guess what? I was good before you gave it. I didn't need you to bless me. I don't live a life that's needy. I'm not needy. All of my needs are met by God. That's what he's saying. He said later in verse 19, I know my God will supply all of your needs too, over and abundantly. He will supply all my needs according to his riches and his glory in Christ Jesus. What's that mean? So we live our lives like... We eat before we go. Every day we go through the spiritual, supernatural A&W drive-thru and we receive from Jesus the sustenance that we need so that when we go out into the real world, whether they get promoted and I don't or not, I was good before it happened. I already ate. That's the concept. We have to confront the have-not mentality. We've got to realize right now, if I have faith in, in God and that I believe that he is good, then I have to look what I currently have, look at what I currently have and realize this. He's given me enough to be happy. He's given me enough to be content. Does anybody believe that right now? Let me just confront some of you who are wrestling and battling with that, that, that you know what, you thought your house was great and then you went to that other person's house and now you think you need more square footage. No, you don't. You know what's great? Get more square footage, but your life does not depend on how much square footage you have. And you know what people who get bigger houses realize? The house didn't change the line of my contentment. So you got to wrestle down and learn the secret of contentment. First and foremost, that contentment is not found in someone else's hand. God's already given you the tools and the resources to be content. It is a lie if you think, if I obtain that or achieve that or that happens, then I will be content. No, God wants you to utilize what he's already given you and find contentment from him. That's number one, first secret. Are you with me? Second secret. This is like, this is, this, is, this is important stuff. It's not as maybe fun and free-flowing as normal, but this is important stuff. This changes everything, and it's so countercultural. Here, here's number two. This is a big one. So contentment's not found in what I currently don't possess. Here's, here's the second secret that I, when I look at li the life of Paul, the life of Abraham. Here's another one. Contentment is found 
in your purpose, not in your passions. Contentment, real contentment is found in your purpose, not in your passions. There is another lie that we, we convince ourselves that I will be happy and content when I satisfy my, my basic appetites. When I satisfy my basic urges, my basic passions, that's what keeps me content. My, my job in being content is making sure that I scratch all the itches, that I, that I eat all that I need and I receive all that I need, that, that somehow contentment is connected to, to your appetite. And, and I want to suggest to you today that contentment is actually uh, in a lot deeper space in your soul, true contentment, than just satisfying your kind of fundamental urges and cravings. Now, when we live in this world, like what the, the general ethos and the general mindset is this, that you'll be happy if you just listen to your heart, follow your heart. You know, if it feels good, do it. Seven of you are listening this morning. Awesome, awesome. It's good. I don't need, I don't need, I, hey, I don't need you to listen. I was good before I came, right? <laughs> like, but there's this, there's this idea, though, that I will be content if I can just, if I can just stay full. If I can just stay full, if I can just kind of keep my hunger satiated, if I can just kind of stay full, stay busy, and I want to, I want to suggest to you today that comfort and distraction actually can rob your joy. That constant, that, that living life to stay comfortable, to stay, uh, that keeps you distracted, busyness, these things can all rob your joy. And, and I have learned in my life, and I learned as I look at the life of Paul, the life of Abraham, that true contentment, true joy actually comes from engaging a bigger purpose with your life. That the, the happiest people on earth, the people who are the most satisfied are people who are giving themselves to something bigger than themselves. Let me tell you something. Your soul is too big too big to, to live unto yourself, that God actually made you with a purpose, on purpose, to live for something more than just satisfying yourself. That true contentment is connected to engaging your purpose. This is the story of Abraham. Abraham, it says in Hebrews 11, I love this scripture. It says in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. Look at this. This is what I want you to see. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs of him with the same promise. For here it is. He was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect is the builder, who is, whose builder is God. What is that saying? It's saying that in all of Abraham's blessing and all of his ups and downs, that he never settled into comfort. That he never settled into just existing, but he was actually living for a vision bigger than himself. He had a vision of God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And he was living for and giving himself to a bigger vision than just how rich can I get? How many vacations can I take? How many cars can I own? How many camels can I ride? Whatever their thing was, I don't know. His life was bigger than just what I can get. His life existed as what I can give that he was giving his life to something bigger than himself. I think it's such an incredible thing because if you read the story of Abraham, you'll find this dude was incredibly rich. 
Like God really, really established his household. Like he was very wealthy, very powerful, and yet he lived in tents. And that's a picture of his perspective. His perspective is this, that I'm living for something bigger. And until I arrive at seeing the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, I'm giving myself to that vision. I'm never fully living for anything else. See, I find comfort is the main robber of a lot of joy in our culture. A lot of us live to just be comfortable, don't we? Like we live to try to, whether it's, you know, I live from vacation to vacation. I live from weekend to weekend. Let me ask you a question about, about when you think about your life, do you work to escape? Like is the work, the things that you're giving yourself to, like do you, do you work so that you can escape? I would suggest to you that escape Comfort, distraction are all things that actually rob your joy. And that true fulfillment is found in engaging a bigger purpose. It's engaging a bigger purpose. The spirit of comfort is trying to disengage you. To plug you so full of stuff that you can't actually be satisfied by meaning. Just keep you full but not happy. I find this, I find this on social media. Anybody ever like go, like let's just be real honest. Anybody ever find... Like, you just spent an hour doing this. What's that? What is that hour investment? I'm not saying saying social media is bad, but what is that? You are popping Cheetos into your soul. That's what you're doing. And you're just, you're just gorging on junk. It's just junk food, which there's there's a time and a place for it. Everyone needs a cheat day. But... It doesn't make your soul healthy. Like engaging in something that matters, giving yourself to something that matters is what actually brings you satisfaction. And the, it's, the interesting thing when I think about this is we know this at funerals. We rehearse it at funerals. No one ever talks at a funeral about how many cars so-and-so had, what their house looked like. No one talks about how many Facebook friends or Twitter followers they had. Why? Because we know it's meaningless. It's just cheap. It's just junk food. What do we talk about? We talk about the things that they left behind, the, 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 the difference they made, the way they made me feel. Isn't that how we talk at, at funerals? No one, the short funerals are people who just did this with their life. They just sat on the, the cosmic couch and popped Cheetos their whole life. That's all they did. The people that we celebrate the most are the people who gave the most of themselves to other people. And usually, those are the happiest people on earth. The people who live the most are the people who give the most. It's it's, it's flat out connected. And it's so counterintuitive. Because why? Because everything in us, our passions and our urges convince us, okay, I'm hungry, I need to eat, I need to feed. But actually, Jesus came to teach us another way. Jesus said it like this, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. That what you think is bringing you life is not bringing you life. But whoever loses their life for my sake, for a bigger calling, will what? Find it. That life is found in pouring your life out. See, some of you are so packed full of stuff, you can't receive fresh life. Some of your lives are so busy and so purposeless, and you're so disengaged from anything that matters that you can't receive true satisfaction in your soul because you're not doing anything with your life. This doesn't mean you have to go and you know, lead some great organization. It just means do you live your life for yourself or do you live your life for others and to make a difference in their lives? Because the people who live their lives to serve are the people who actually find themselves most served, find themselves most satisfied. 
I found that in my own life. The times I think that the times that I, I'm selfish and self-serving, it never fully satisfies. Anybody know? Like anybody just ever, you go through a season and you just give yourself to some passion or some desire or something. Well, how does that make you feel afterward? You just feel, you feel like your soul's fat. Don't you? But the, the times you feel alive are the times you wake up and you engage a higher purpose. Some of you are looking at me like, ah, whatever, man. Listen. You will be the most content when you embrace a higher calling. You have a bigger vision for your life. That might mean, you know what, momming to the glory of God. But whatever you do, you do it unto something bigger. That might mean, you know what, stapling and pushing paper, whatever your job is. You don't just have a job. Your, your job is not just to get through it so you can go out and buy that thing you want to buy or go on that vacation. God actually has purpose for you in every atmosphere and every avenue of your whole life. Wherever you go, you can actually find fulfillment. Did you know that? Like God has you everywhere on purpose. I was saying to uh, some trusted brothers a couple weeks ago, like I have got to learn how to do everything on purpose, even rest and vacation. I have to do that on purpose. Why? Because the moment I unplug from purpose is the moment I start draining my joy. Purpose is connected to your joy and contentment. That's the secret. The secret of living is giving yourself to something bigger than you you will find the most satisfaction. Some of you are living way too small and you wonder why you're not happy. Satisfying your passions and desires will never satisfy your soul. Look how Paul says it. He says, Philippians 3, verse 5, he says, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, what's that? What's the flesh? The flesh is the outward stuff, the external stuff that I think will satisfy me. He says, if someone thinks they have reason to do it, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. I'm, I'm a religious, devout religious person of the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church, I've done that. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless, I've done that. Well, here it is. This is, this, this is what I want you to see. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss. In fact, the Greek there is way less PG than loss. The Greek there actually means excrement. I need to say another word. It's crap. I consider the stuff, it's crap. It doesn't satisfy me. I consider all the stuff of this world is just junk food compared to the sake of Christ. For what is more, I consider everything crap because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I live for something bigger. I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ, the real thing, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. What's he saying? He's saying, I have found something so much more satisfying than just the stuff of this world. Even the best stuff, he's saying. Like, that's why he was bragging. It's like a humble brag in there, right? He's like, He's bragging about like how religious he is and also bragging about how big of a jerk he was one time. And like he's bragging about these high things he'd accomplished. He said, all of those high things, once I got a taste of the life that Christ can give me, it just became just junk. It's just junk food. It didn't bring me life and satisfaction. So how you get rid of the robber of comfort is purposeful generosity. Live to give. That's number three. I'm almost done. Are you with me? We're taking the deep dive this morning. Is it too much? You, you, you hanging with me? I, I want to continue to read what Paul is saying in Philippians 3, and then we'll, I'll give you one more secret of contentment, and then I'll wrap up. Verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ. 
Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Now he's starting to look forward. So he's looking at his life, and now he's starting to look forward. And watch what he says. Not that I've already obtained this. I haven't arrived at my goal. But here it is. Say it out loud. I, I press on. I strain on, he says, to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what's behind... And straining toward what lies ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Here's a third observation about the secret of contentment. Contentment is found in your future, not in your past. Contentment is found in your future, not in your past. If you hang your contentment on anything that happened yesterday, whether it was a terrible thing or a bad thing. If you live in the past, the further you get from it, the less content you become. This is why Paul said, I forget everything in the past and I strain towards. It's, he, Paul's glory days, reliving the glory days doesn't happen for him. Paul's glory days are yet to come. He lived a life that said, my best days are ahead of me. You see, there's another lie that will enter your mind. It's not that, you know what, uh, happiness is something I have to go get out there. There's another lie that says my happiness is back there. That my joy, my contentment is behind me. That it left me when she left me. That it left me when he died. That it left me when that happened. That it left me when that expired. That it left me when that thing broke. That there is this mindset, this, this lie that enters our minds that says this, my happiness went when that went behind me. And so we live in the past. We try to relive the glory days. It's like, like Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite. That was a missed reference. That was a missed reference. Napoleon Dynamite? Anybody? No? Yeah. Uh, Napoleon, he had, he had an uncle in the movie who like, he referenced the state championship football game like 10 times. He's like, man, if they only put me in, we would have won state. Like, you're just living in the past. I'll tell you what, a lot of us, we, we, we attach way too much value and weight on things that have already happened. And that is consistently, the, the more days that go from today to that day, the more your joy is being robbed every single day. That the, the person of faith actually believes. This is why Paul said, I forget what's behind me. Bad things, hey, what a gift. I can forget it in Christ. But even good things, I have to choose to forget those things so that I keep my focus forward, realizing that in Christ, he says what? I press on to obtain the goal for that which Christ died for me, that, that I have an inheritance coming, that my best days are yet to come. You have got to daily remind yourself of that. Whether you are on the highest mountain or in the darkest valley, you remind yourself that regardless of where I am, this is a temporary location that I'm moving forward. You see, the past is supposed to be a point of reference, not a point of residence. God doesn't want you living there. This is why, this is why Paul said, I, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. See, some of us go through the valley of the shadow and we park down and we set up shop. God wants to bring you through that and on to greater things. And, and, the, and the fight of faith is to believe that God is actually able to bring me to better days. Do you believe that the best is yet to come? 
Do you know that Christians, that, 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 that needs to be our mantra. It needs to be our daily declaration that, no, my best days are yet to come. I have not peaked. That the glory days are not behind me. The glory days are yet to come. This is why Paul says, hey, fix your mind on things above. Set your mind on heavenly things. Remind yourself all the time. I don't live for yesterday. I don't even settle down in today. I'm moving forward realizing that the best is yet before me. That the glory days are still coming. This is why Paul wrote at one point, he said, you know what? No mind has even conceived. No eye has seen, no ear has heard. It's not even entered the thought of man what God has in store for his people. What's that do? That keeps us from getting hung up in the past. It keeps us from placing too much value on the stuff of life. And it keeps us moving forward. Paul says, I press on. See, a lot of us are just, our joy is getting robbed every day we, we move on from the past. Regret is robbing your joy. Missed opportunities, robbing your joy. Uh, instances and things that happen to you, robbing your joy. God wants you to forget that. That's why I love Isaiah 43. It's my verse for this year. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. You know what? It's really easy to dwell on the past, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. The invitation to God is forget the past. See, I am doing a new thing. I'm doing something brand new. How many know God is a God of new mercies every morning? God, is, God has a brand new hit every day. It's not replay on the same old thing all the time. It's a brand new mercy, brand new life, brand new joy. Every single day you walk with him. That's, that's the invitation. God has called you to glory and it's not in the past. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, plans to give you a hope and a future. How many of you know that's your, that's your inheritance? If you are in Christ, that's your inheritance. We cannot place too much weight on today or yesterday. Tomorrow is where I'm heading. We live pressing forward. Your contentment is not connected to the past. It's found in the future in Christ Jesus. The past is a point of residence, a reference, not a point of residence. All right, last thought, and I'm going to wrap up. Are you with me? You awake? All right, here's, here's the final thought. Uh, Dan, you can come back. We'll, we'll wrap up. The secret of contentment, and really I spent 45 minutes to say one thing that, that really this just kind of wraps it all together. Contentment is found in the source, not in the stuff. Can, true contentment is found in the source, not in the stuff. I, I, I joke about it all the time. Uh, but when there's, a, when there's ever a question in church, the answer is always, yeah, it's, a, it's like always Jesus. Surprise, spoiler, uh, Jesus is the way to contentment. Uh, that's what we believe here, that true contentment is found in the source, not in the stuff. Where we run into problems, all of us, the preacher, you guys, the band, all of us, human beings since day one, to go back to Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve, where we run into problems is confusing the gifts with the giver, the stuff with the source. It's when we look to created things, get this, we look to created things to satisfy a longing and a desire, something that can only be fulfilled by the creator. We look to the created to satisfy what only the creator himself can satisfy. There's this uh, book in the Bible called Ecclesiastes, and there was a, a guy named Solomon. He was the king of Israel at the time. Uh, many believe the wisest man. I mean, you read some of his writings. He wrote Proverbs. There's some, there's some bomb drop, mic drop stuff in there. Dude was smart. 
He's not just smart, he was powerful, he was rich. The guy had absolutely everything. Uh, they believe that he's in the top 10 wealthiest people who has ever lived on planet Earth. Uh, this guy had everything. He had like a thousand wives. I'm happy with one, just saying. But nonetheless, like if you, if it, the, the point is this, if you wanted it, if he wanted it, he could get it. And he wrote this book called Ecclesiastes. And let me tell you, if you want a real pick-me-up, go home this afternoon and just, just thumb through Ecclesiastes. It's, it's a bit of a buzzkill, I'm going to say. He's really in a dark place when he wrote it. Like, he goes through it and he just says, meaningless, meaningless. It's all vanity, all the stuff of this world, all the things that you think are going to make you happy and satisfy you, it's meaningless. And he's saying from his perch on the top of the world, he's saying this, I have climbed to the top of power and prestige and wisdom. I have all the resources this world can give me at my disposal and I'm empty. And he made this statement. I think about this statement all the time. He says this, God has set eternity in the heart of men. What's he mean? He means in your heart of hearts, deep in your soul, there is a space that only the eternal God can fulfill. And you can pack it and stuff it so full of money. You can stuff it so full of hobbies. You can stuff it so full of women. You can stuff it so full of relationships. You can stuff it so full of vacations. You can stuff it so full of... You can place the whole world in it and it will not touch it. That's what Solomon was saying. This is what Jesus said one time. What does it profit a man if you gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? You see, there is a hole in your soul that only the Father, only God himself can fulfill. This is where all busted sinfulness, dysfunction, and destruction come from. It's from us believing the lie that something can fulfill what only he can fulfill. That's what it says in Romans 1. It says in Romans 1 that we, we exchange the glory of the creator for images, for, for things that can't satisfy. And so here, here's the point. True contentment, true joy is found when you engage and embrace Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the glory of God given to you so that you may have life and life to the full. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, John 10, 10, Jesus says this. They asked him, why are you here? And Jesus said this. If you ever wonder what Jesus is all about, here it is. He says, I have come. The thief comes to steal, kill, rob, and destroy. I have come that you, who's you? Raise your hand if that, if, it's all of us, you, that you would have, say it out loud, life and have it to the, have it to the full. That's fulfillment. Jesus came that we would find true fulfillment and it's connected in him. Here's the deal. First and foremost, the things of this world can't fully satisfy. They're just not big enough. I know people who have an incredible job, incredible family, incredible wife. They have everything going for them and they're still not happy. Why? Because there's a space in your hole that only, only the glory of God can fulfill. The other thing I've found in my life is this, that if I build my life on something temporary, my happiness goes when it goes. That's why some people never recover when they lose a spouse. They never recover because they built too much of their lives on that person. I am thankful for my wife. 
She makes me happy. She blesses me. But if she is the foundation of my contentment, the day that one of us passes away, if, if I'm the foundation of her contentment or she's the foundation of my contentment, the day that one of us goes and one of us is gonna go before the other, but the day that happens, our contentment goes with them. See, Jesus invites us to make him the basis of our contentment. And then as he forms the basis that all the other blessings come into order on top of that, so that why? You have received the bread of life that never spoils. That's what Jesus is saying. I'm the bread of life. Whoever receives me will be satisfied forever and ever and ever. He's the only one that can truly bring you satisfaction. It's Jesus. Jesus. The secret of contentment is Jesus. I just took 45 minutes to break that down, but here's the deal. Jesus is purpose. Do you know that he's called you? When he calls us to follow him. He says, take up your cross and follow me. Give yourself to a greater purpose. He's purpose. Jesus is the bread that satisfies. Jesus is the bread that has been given to you. He is that thing outside of yourself that you need to go get and receive. He is the one that brings you contentment. Would you stand with me? I want to pray for you. The reason at 35 trips around the sun that I am happier than I've ever been, even though I have all kinds of blessings in my life that are bringing me joy, I have been a believer in Jesus since I was six years old. I haven't done it perfectly. I've had ups and downs. I've had seasons where I was really hot and seasons where I was really cold. But I will say this, measure by measure, day by day, month by month, year by year, as he has grown in my heart and my mind, as he has taken over more and more of my life, my satisfaction grows with it. And you can't do it. Let's pray. Father, thank you today. Thank you that you've given us all we need to be happy. You've given us all we need to be content regardless of our circumstances. Our circumstances do not have the power to hold our contentment hostage. Jesus, you have the power to bring us joy in the darkest seasons, in the deepest valleys. You're the light of the world that won't be extinguished. You're the bread of life that won't go bad. You're the fountain of life that never runs dry. And so God, would you teach us today to not look to things that are created, but look to the creator. Would you teach us today to not look in the past, but look forward to the joy that's set before us in you. And that God, we find our lives content. God, we just declare in this place that you have made joy and contentment a reality at our disposal by the blood of Jesus. And today we receive that in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for every person today as we go back out into our week and our, our feet hit the ground. Lord, I pray for every person today that we would not get duped into the lies of thinking that I don't have enough or thinking if I only have what she had or if I only have what he had or thinking, you know what, I, if I just satisfy this urge or that craving, then I'll be happy. God, I pray that you would draw us deeper than that, that you'd, re you'd refine our palate, that our souls would not be satisfied with cheap fare, but we, like, like Isaiah says, we would come to you for the richest of fare, and we find ourselves eternally and forever satisfied. God, I thank you for your word today. We receive it. And everybody who received it said in Jesus' name, amen, amen. amen.